1: Welcome back to another edition of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. In our current COVID 19 studios, known as Andy's Bedroom, the quietest room in my house, I am missing Veronica at Extension Studios, where I typically face my guests face to face. But also, special thanks to John from Blast Podcast for being on the other end of our Skype calls, helping with his audio and his amazing technical abilities. So, where are we going with this today? Well, in the midst of these incredibly challenging times, there is an amazing opportunity for you to return to your your own personal health and well-being to reset and adjust and optimize your health despite certain roadblocks you might think are in front of you right now. But honestly, there could be some great solutions for you here. I really feel for the listeners out there that you will benefit greatly from today's guest. Peak Performance and Mindset Coach Ben Pokulski is the founder of Ben Pokulski Fitness International, a former Mr. Canada, a top Mr. Olympia competitor, professional bodybuilder, and host of the Muscle Intelligence Podcast and all of its brands that go with it. He has helped 100,000 men and women change their body and their life with his transformation methods. Now, I met Ben when I was hosting CTV Morning Live, and honestly, he's like the rock, you know, like the actor. He's like a mountain of a man made of nothing but muscle, but with a heart of gold and a mind that will definitely intrigue you. This married father of three is not here to pump you up, but rather help you biohack your life with focus on nutrition and sleep, hormones, mindfulness, strength, and the list goes on. I'm excited for him to give you his perspective on the six pillars of health, which I'll let him describe to you over the course of the podcast. We're also going to hit on some great things uh, and some of the things that he's learned because he also has some amazing guests that have been joining him on his podcast. So I'm interested to learn what he's learned from them. So let's get started. Ben right now, joining us from his home. He's, he's kind of, as you mentioned, he's like the youngest snowbird ever. He's joining us from Tampa, Florida. Ben, so great to have you joining us. Thank you.
0: Thank you for having me,
1: Leanne. So I, Right off the bat, I'm going to say like Florida is like the hotbed right now, especially one of the places in the States of what's going on with COVID. How are you guys coping?
0: I think it's just because the population tends to be a little bit older. So there's probably a bit of a higher morbidity rate. And uh, I honestly haven't noticed it. I mean, I think my life is, is, you know, a little more restricted, but it doesn't seem like it's affecting, you know, too much of the day to day down here. Obviously, everyone's kind of locked up, but um, it doesn't seem like there's a mass hysteria. the, The groceries aren't really empty yet um the hospitals don't seem like they're overwhelmed so it doesn't seem like it's all that bad
1: well that's pretty good the stuff we see on the news here is like i wanted to shoot everyone that was on the beaches for spring breaks down in well, florida kind of that was, that going was pretty <laughs> silly wasn't, wasn't it
0: yeah. it was definitely pretty silly because i mean you have it's a university town there's a lot of university kids and uh, their thought is oh we're invincible to this it's only the old people so let's go to the beach and and yeah not the bra- not the wisest thing but um you know it is florida
1: It is. Uh, You know, you've got this opportunity. And and I asked you because I know you have three kids and I think we went through them like six, eight and 13. Right. But you had mentioned that you're back and forth between Toronto and Florida. And so my first thing was, okay, what happens with the kids then if you're doing back and forth? And you said you actually homeschool them, of which I kind of want to pull out my hair right now. I've had the kids home for a couple of weeks. Like how how do you typically how were you guys doing that as it was rather than all of us kind of being thrown into this right now?
0: Well, I think the key is is like even like adults is creating schedules, right, and and creating um, you know a routine for them. So every day is exactly the same thing, right? More or less, it's it's Groundhog Day. You wake up, as soon as we're up, we go for a walk, and we make sure that they don't wake up too early. We try to get them up about seven thirty because when they're in school, they have to be up around six o'clock. And I think for a growing child, the growing nervous system, the growing mind, it's a terrible idea. So we let them get up around 7:30, and we go for a 30 to 45 minute walk. We get them, you know, back, and we're back sometime between 8:15 and 8:30. You know, they'll have their breakfast, and things will start around nine. We'll do about 90 minutes, and it's it's very routine based. So, you know, every morning they're going to journal. It's a gratitude. It's a goal setting. It's really anything they want to write about, and they do one to two pages of journaling. And we'll get into something that's kind of your foundational, like your math or your science. And then we'll let them go outside. They jump on the trampoline. They do a 15 to 20 minute break. Uh, we come back and we let, we do what we call discovery learning. So, you know, an example will be like, all right, kids, what do you want to learn this week? And, and you know, obviously the, the six and the eight year old are a little bit closer so what do you want to learn? Oh, we want to learn about rocks. Okay, so they think they're going to learn about you know some rocks in the ground, but it ends up being this extrapolative learning process. We're like, okay, well, where, what are rocks made of? It's made of elements, and well, where do elements come from? Where can you find them? So we're just we're exploring geography, and then we're taking them to the realization that all these minerals came from outer space, from other exploded rocks, and then we're we're studying the universe and we're studying outer space, and it's just like. Uh, expanding their imaginations and, and creating in this creative thought process, rather than thinking inside the box, which I'm very much against. We're trying to get them to think extrapolatively. So, and it's it's fun. You know, we do a lot of traveling. We do a lot of um, excursion-based learning. We take them to a lot of museums. We take them to a lot of places around the world. And because I'm so blessed to work from my computer for the most part, um, we get to spend time in different places.
1: Okay. Where did you come up with this concept to do it? I mean, what was your upbringing or your schooling like, well, you know, I, that, that you can you conceptualize this in a very different way? I'm very blessed
0: to have some people in my life who are contrarian, let's say. So I grew up um, very contrarian. Uh, you could say I have a rebellious attitude. And uh, my, you know, if there's a sidewalk over there, I'm the guy who's going to walk up, you know, on the road, right? That's, that's typically the way I've grown up is, um, you know, if someone tells me to do something, I literally just walk the other way and... Uh, I was very much a rebel child, and, and that didn't necessarily lead me to a bad thing, bad path. But it was always um, this idea of a questioner, like uh, everything you say, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna think of a different way to do it. And, and I always started to question schooling, like I didn't enjoy schooling at a young age. I loved schooling when I got to university, where I could pick my electives. But throughout school, like I barely snuck by, and you know, I don't think I read a book cover to cover until I was in university. And you just figure out ways to get by doing minimum effective bills because I didn't enjoy it. So. You know, I want my kids to develop a love for learning. So I didn't really start learning in my life until I was at, o- over 25. Like now I'm, you know, I think every year I get a PhD in some different topic, not I literally, but because I'm learning from so many people, I'm reading so many books, I'm, I'm taking so many courses. This is ongoing development. Whereas literally, before I was 25, I don't think I learned a thing. I just hated it because I, I didn't have a, a passion, a love for learning. So if I can develop a love for learning for my children, I think you know, their ability to accumulate knowledge is never going to be the issue, right? We have the internet, we have access to all the information on the planet at, at an exponential rate. Um, the problem will be is, is having the passion and the desire to, to learn, put these pieces together. So that's what I'm really trying to develop rather than just like the ability to, to memorize useless facts like we do in school. So the,
1: it, wasn't, it wasn't the being told exactly what it was that you had to learn. I, th- I see and I know that you think really outside the box, but was the gym, because I know that you started to spend your time in the gym by the time you were like 15, right? Yeah. And, and, and starting to go in and to sculpt this body or to, to get stronger. Was that your outlet? Like, was that where you could, you know, you weren't being forced to just walk on one side of the street, but you could do your own thing in the gym.
0: Maybe, but I think more for me, it was, is to develop confidence. So I grew up in a really unique environment. I grew up in a family of alcoholics who were obese. So uh, I never saw anybody who was fit, and never even saw anybody who was healthy uh, or or even happy. You know, so I would watch people across the road, and I'd say, "Why is that family laughing and happy and healthy and taking nice vacations and have a nice car and doing all these things?" I never got to do that, so I would always, I was always question, like, "Well, I don't have to live this life like these people. I want to go pursue something different." And I remember having an awareness as early as seven years old, like. I just don't want to be like my family. I want to be like, uh, you know, something different. And then eventually I discovered this, this fitness space. And I was like, well, that's what I want to be like. I want to look like that. I want to be happy like that. I want what I perceive as happy. Um, You know, I want to have all those things that this fitness life portrayed from the outside, which eventually obviously turns out is, has nothing to do with the way you look on the outside, but that was my belief at the time. So it sent me down this path of, you know, obsessively uh, pursuing a physique that, Could compete with anybody in the world. And I was very blessed to, at an early age, have perspective by seeing, you know, I went to the 1998 Mr. Olympia contest, and I was 17 years old. I was skinny. I'd never really trained. And at that point, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And and I took an obsessive neurotic approach, and and I achieved it.
1: Okay, I'm going to hit on uh, obsessive neurotic in just a second, because I I do want (laughs) to get to that. I, I, I do find that interesting. But what was it like to be in a family where health, like activity, food, Movement was just not part of it. Like did they look at you almost going like, What are you doing? or I would think it's incredibly hard to to shift it's It's hard enough for an individual to pivot when they don't have the support of others but who have but others who don't even have an understanding yeah. of what it takes to be doing what you're doing.
0: well, um as early as I said, seven years old, i I remember kind of feeling like the lone wolf. I remember um you know kind of alienating myself from my family and doing whatever I needed to do to take care of myself. So when they absolutely tried to belittle my efforts in the gym and bodybuilding and telling me I'm wasting my time, I need to get a job, and I should make make money – um, I literally just kept on my path, and thank goodness for my stubborn, rebellious attitude in that scenario where I was like, "I don't care what you say. I like, I don't care that I'd not eating the same food as you. Like, I'm going to go do what I want to do, and I have this this objective and this target." And you know, that's one of the things I teach now is I think one of the most important things people can do if they want to shift their life is create objective living. Right? I'm working toward an objective, toward a target. Many people live a subjective life, meaning they're kind of meandering aimlessly through life trying to catch a nut like a squirrel, right? It's, it's uh, you need to have a target, you need to have an objective. And that's, I think the only way you can start moving in the direction of your greatest life.
1: That's gonna be like, hopefully I I want my listeners to almost have like a notebook over the course of this. (laughs) Check one, okay, we're looking at objectives here. So you're 17, I'm gonna follow like this path along. 17, you're at Mr. Olympia, incredibly young, still very naive, I think as to the entire world that you're about to embark into how did you go from being 17 and and at least being in this space to understanding what it meant to compete at that level uh, and looking at bodybuilding from a certain way and and kind of that being their launching point for i think sure. a lot of what it is that we're going to find
0: well um one of the reasons i think i i pursued bodybuilding looking back on it now was i had a lot of fear and um you know i grew up in an abusive family and a lot of fear around authorities, like teachers, um, principals, parents, like I was very, very afraid of, you know, whatever being physically hit, or I would just walk up to people and shake. So I think the idea of finally building an armor big enough so that I could stand in front of another uh, adult and not be afraid was a big part of why I pursued that so voraciously. Um, You know, but bodybuilding was this interesting, um, you know, opportunity for me to just start discovering who I was on the inside, rather than just accepting the the anger and the fear and the inadequacy and, and all the negativity that existed in my childhood, um, you know, it gave me this amazing platform uh, effectively to um, to pursue something greater. And I, and I didn't know what greater was, but all I knew was I saw these these Mr. Olympia competitors and I said, you know, until I look like that, I'm nothing. Like I'm not where I want to be. So, you know, I didn't focus on being the best guy in my gym. I didn't focus on being the best guy in the city, even the best guy in the country that was never even on my radar. So I had this myopic you know, almost like, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm taking a boat from here to Hawaii. And, okay, well, I'm not going to stop if I see a nice place along the way. Like, hey, that's, that's California. That's cute. That's yeah, Mexico. That's nice. I, I didn't even, there's like tunnel vision, right? I just had the end result in mind. And I think this idea of this massively transformative purpose is maybe one of the biggest things we can, we can focus on in life is like finding out what that one thing is, that one target that's, you know, way off in the distance. And maybe it's 10 years and 20 years in the distance, but that's really what lights your soul on fire, and if you can, you can set that target, that long-term target, and uh, allow that to guide the ship. It allows you to uh, achieve so much more because you know so many people in our current society are so focused on immediate reward, right? I want, I want to do something now, right? Because we don't have a long-term goal, we don't have a long-term objective. So sitting back and saying, "Hey, I need this long-term objective." This is the perfect time to talk about it with this coronavirus stuff, right? Is if I want to be healthy, it doesn't matter. Like I, I need to focus on what are the best daily tactics and habits and characteristics I can build now, not for now, like today doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I eat well today. It doesn't matter if I go eat a donut today. That's not not the point. The point is how can I develop habits and characteristics of someone who's going to lead me down this path where I want to be in 10 years, right? And I think that's a big Less that needs to be garnered here is like if you're if you're experiencing a life right now that's giving you pain, it has nothing to do with the scenario. It's just revealing the problems, right? So many people are saying, "Hey, the divorce rate is going up," or people are losing their jobs, or, or people's businesses are going out of out of, out of uh, you know going out of business. Yes, I completely get it, and I'm absolutely empathetic. But at the same time, it's it's also revealing inadequacies and weaknesses and gaps that maybe we say thank you for this awareness. And now in the future, hopefully we never allow these things to happen again. And this is just creating a more resilient and more anti-fragile, you know, relationship and business and hopefully economy.
1: Okay. So I'm going to come back to everything that you just mentioned because I want to be able to go through that. So I'm going to press pause on those on those comments because I'm coming back to them. The one thing that you said is like when you were you know, on this mission to kind of be this world. It wasn't about being the best guy in the gym or in the country. It was like Mr. Olympia. It was like the world and and you were on this boat and you could have been in in Hawaii. Do you you miss the fact that you didn't stop and smell the roses or go and see what the nice beach was over there in California or something else? Like, do you look back and because you were so zoned in on getting to this certain point that you may have missed opportunities or experiences along the way?
0: I get asked that question a lot, and and I ponder it. The question is, could you have done it any other way, right? So, looking back on it, I I wasn't happy when I was doing it. I was so focused, like I didn't I didn't take the time to stop and appreciate people or places or things or or anything. I was so focused on I have to get there. And uh, question I get all the time is, could you have done it differently? And the answer is, I have no idea. I really don't believe so. Like I really believe to be the best at anything, you have to be so myopic and and like I said, borderline uh, obsessive. Uh, to be able to achieve that because it's so easy in our current society to get pulled and, and, and you know, swayed with every gust of wind that comes along. I don't know that it's possible. That being said, I wish I could have, right? Cause there's no doubt that if you can slow down to appreciate the process, cause I mean, and this is, this is, you know, the maybe the most important lesson that I learned is, the goal isn't the goal, right? The process is the goal. So how do I learn to embrace today and be the best I can today so that I'm developing the habits, characteristics, and traits so that it builds that character, right? And in, in my one of my mentors now, unfortunately passed, Jim Rohn says, never set the goal to be a millionaire for the money, set the goal for the person that makes it be to achieve it. And that's the same in muscle building. That's the same in anything, right? Any any big picture objective. It's, it's not about the end result because the end result can be taken from me at any time, but what can't be taken from you is, is those unimpeachable characteristics, right? Well, who did I become along the way? Like, what did I, what characteristics and, and uh, personality traits did I develop that allow me to, no matter what happens at the end of this, I'm way stronger than when I started, which is why I love this current scenario. Like everyone at home, you have more time. We've been begging for this. Let's let's make the most of it.
1: I think Once you found yourself in a certain position, I feel like right now, the life that you're living currently is almost the life that you didn't have when you were pursuing that Mr. Olympia it's almost like you've you had the opportunity you're almost getting like a second go around at at evolving as the person you are when you're talking about the types of, of things that you're studying the people that you're exposing yourself to I know that you're mm-hmm. you know the people in the conversations that you're having are with thought leaders and with you know peak performance coaches and, and biohackers of like the like right. the leaders in this industry so do you feel now that you're almost like you kind of got to Everest now you're almost like Aiming for the stars. It's like there's just well, there's just yeah. more for you in this and this process.
0: And that's the metaphor I always use is the, the ascension of a mountain, right? I've since retiring climbed a lot of mountains and you get to the, the summit of one and you look kind of over to the right and there's another one right there, right? You're like, oh that's the one I want to be on. And that's really exactly what it is. It's the next mountain and the next mountain is better or worse it's just another opportunity to hopefully look deeper within yourself and realize the goal is not an external one right and that was that was maybe my greatest lesson in in bodybuilding was i walked on stage at mr olympia in 2012 for the first time ever and and i thought i was just i mean i certainly felt the sense of accomplishment but i thought it was going to make me fulfilled in some way and make me feel like i'd accomplished something great but in reality it was it was empty you know and and that, that was the first time in my life you know that 2012 was a transitional year for me my son was born and um, my Mr. Olympia contest, my first Mr. Olympia. So it allowed me to reflect on all the things that I've done and realize that I could keep pursuing this external goal, like accumulating money or accumulating material things or accumulating muscle, or I can turn the spotlight around on myself and start working on developing my myself and my compassion and my love and my my joy and you know making a greater impact on the world. So leveraging all these skills and discipline and this platform that I've developed. And now taking this information and and helping more people to pursue their goals and their dreams and ultimately supporting the human race. And and rather than just being this egocentric, you know, obsessed meathead.
1: Well, that that was the thing that I think shocked me. And I think I remember telling you this on CTV Morning Live is you you used the word, like you described it. So you said it. So I'm not saying it when you say meathead, you know, there is something to (laughs) seeing this big, and I remember our first conversation going, oh my God, you are exactly the opposite of that. Now, knowing what you know about the human body and the mind and how we carry emotions in our bodies, like there's, I mean, I, I find it fascinating. Would you, taking the knowledge that you have right now, train the same way?
0: back then
1: like right like like knowing what you know now and how we used to view muscles and bulking up and all that stuff like how different is it
0: well um i train a lot of young aspiring athletes now and that's bodybuilders and other sports and the beauty of it now is, is we have a lot more information at least that i had access to back then so i can definitely do uh a lot more in a lot less time now, and ultimately, impart part, a lot less damage to my body, right? Like less training, less food, more results. Um, but the, the, the real question that people often ask is like, well, is that, is that the better way? Like, it's faster. There's no question it's faster. But without experiencing the pain that I experienced, all the challenge and all the, the um, you know, ultimately obstacles in, in building that body. I wouldn't be the person I am today. I wouldn't have to seek those answers and seek that wisdom and know. I read everything I possibly could. Like I was a machine, that's how I ascended the, the ranks. And that was not just physically, that was you know reading and learning and taking courses. And um, again, I, I don't know if I'm doing these, these kids a justice and helping them accelerate their path or if I'm doing them an injustice, right? It, it's, you, there's no doubt I can help people build their, their bodies, lose fat and, and upgrade their mindset faster. But I always say to them when they start and I'm always transparent, I was like, listen, if I teach you what it's going to take to build the body that you want in a really smart way, chances are, you're not going to want to do it anymore. And, and they're like, Oh, it's okay. I still want to do it. And I'm like, okay, as long as you know that, like, because if we can heal somebody's fear and, and inadequacy and allow them to actually start to experience connection with themselves, chances of wanting to do something so, mm, I don't know if I say negative, but so, um, uh, you know, damaging to your body, ultimately, like, right, you're, you're imparting, beatings on your body daily in, in many different ways, the likelihood of them wanting to continue to do it is significantly decreased. I'm not saying they won't. Like I think it would be a beautiful thing to pursue, um, you know, this amazing, incredible body for the, for the love of challenge, for the love of progression, not for the love of the end result. And the, and the, uh, the challenge with professional bodybuilding is, when I was an amateur professional bodybuilder, doing it for the love and doing it for the challenge, it was amazing. But as soon as we externalize that motivation and we say, hey, man, when you do win the show, we're going to give you a quarter of a million dollars. or Hey, you know, to, to represent this product, we're going to give you $100,000. Now you're externalizing. And they go, oh, yeah, by the way, we also need you to compete when we want you to, not when you want to. And now it's completely sh- shifting the motivation. And I think that completely changed it for me. So if we can teach some young athletes to keep the internal motivation – and love the process, and truly love challenging yourself physically and mentally every day, because that's the beauty that bodybuilding offers, right? And, and it, I think it's the greatest daily battleground for developing character and discipline, and, and and ultimately confidence, if you realize that, right? So it's not about the end result; it's the person you become in the process.
1: If you're doing it right, and I, I get that right. that sometimes yeah. they come in with one one goal in mind, and it shifts because they become, a, they learn, and and evolve in the training part and it becomes different. I, I find that's really great. And I think you have done that within your own business and with even in the podcast, cause you're like 300 and some plus podcasts in the first couple hundred were based on, you know, this information that just we're talking muscle. about, right? Like how to like just muscle. And I, I can just, I'm like picturing the guys listening to your podcast in their, like, their trans am, uh, you know, with their shake in the car and the big oh, head. On, out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, but you yourself even have said, like, in the last 100 or so, even to the muscle intelligence, like, you have shifted even the way you talk and are are teaching people. Like, it's it's transformed everything cool. that you went from that to this. So give us the example of, like, what you would have been talking about before and what has shifted in the 100-plus podcasts and guests that you're working with now that well- –
0: yeah, sure. That matters. Like, yeah. like most, Like most coaches or most trainers or even most nutritionists, they tend to see things very myopically, right? If you're a nutritionist, the most important thing is nutrition. If you're a trainer, the most important thing is training. And the answer is none of that's true, right? And that's where I came up with these six pillars of health, as you say, or, or you know, lean, healthy, muscular body. Um, so there's only really six things that can impart uh, a stimulus to your body. So I'll explain what that means. Your body uh, at all times is responding to – your environment uh, to what you're doing, right? So we're sitting here, your body's sensing the light, your body's sensing the noise, your body's sensing the the smells uh, at an unconscious level. 90% of this processing happens at an unconscious level. So there's really only kind of six things that we can do that impart a a stimulus that creates an internal response to our body, right? So just quickly to run through them, it's how you move. That's a big one, right? We got to move, how we eat, right? What, What goes into our mouths, how we breathe, how we think, how we sleep, and that's five. And the sixth one is the environment in which we do it. And that's it. That's really only six things that we can really impart uh, change on. So that kind of gives people this, this framework of like, okay, I can impart change in all of these six things. Which one is the greatest opportunity or the greatest lever for me to pull right now that allows me to shift my body? So I could tell you with 100% certainty, most people aren't moving enough or well. I could tell you with 100% certainty, most people aren't breathing very well. Most people you know, are, are victims to their own thoughts. And these are all things that like, and nutrition is the one that everyone goes, oh, it's the most important thing. And I'll argue that to the death. It's absolutely not. It's very important. But nutrition is only as um, effective as your body's ability to process it. So an example being, if you eat chicken and broccoli – and I eat chicken and broccoli, it does not do the same thing in our bodies. Why? Well, because your microbiome is different, your inflammation is different, your insulin sensitivity is different, your your hormones are different. So at different times of the month, at different times of the year, different people, it's doing completely different things. So to say nutrition is the most important is, is I wouldn't say it's incorrect. It's just... Uh, way too myopic. So we have to look at all those other things that are imparting uh, stimulus on your body. And I think the big one that people aren't paying attention to, like I said, you know, this this stress management that we're all experiencing right now, there's some things you can do right now that without you having to really work hard at it would shift your sense of well-being, would shift your, your thoughts, would shift your your brain's ability or your brain from being negative to positive. And this isn't, this isn't like me being a cheerleader. And go, oh, you can have a positive mindset. No, like there's some physiological things you can do without having to fight against yourself every day that actually puts your mind in this beautiful place where it can be peaceful and happy and supporting your journey, supporting your adventure, rather than kind of weighing you back like an anchor, right? Which most people's mind, I would say, is an anchor to them. It's inhibiting them from going anywhere. Like, oh, I can't do it. You know, I'm negative, whatever. You can go on and on, right? How do you then make uh, use these... These physiological uh, things like breathing and moving and, and uh, you know, maybe eating to allow your mind to work for you rather than working as an anchor. And that's really how I kind of approach this stuff is teaching people how to breathe, move, and ultimately be happy.
1: Okay, so Ben, let's be realistic. what you would have been going through with your clients three weeks ago is very different from what you're going through right now because I, listen, as much as people realize that sleep is is helps with the healing process, like, they're not getting to sleep.'re they're, they're anxious. they're like they're, their mind is spinning. They're yeah. dealing you, like we are in a I, I honestly I believe and I, I, I've wholeheartedly like love those six pillars and yet I'm realizing as much as we have this desire, people are going to be battling. Like I have so many people, right? Like they can't sleep at night right now. Like they're not, they're not mm-hmm. getting into that. They're having a hard time like catching their breath and breathing through. So what so, would you so say from what, what the, you were what, saying to people to now?
0: You can answer your question for yourself. What did okay. you say right there? What are, what are they doing? You said they're having a hard time doing what?
1: They can't sleep. Like and, the anxiety, after, like they're, after, they're, after they're after having a hard
0: time catching their, what, what do you
1: think? Catching their breath.
0: Mm-hmm. So when you breathe or, or when you stress, so people think that stress is, is psychological, it only exists in the mind, right? You can't separate the mind and the body. So they're embodying this physiological response to stress. So, what exactly what you said, they, I have a shortness of breath, I can't breathe, I feel like somebody's sitting on my chest, I'm gasping for air of anxiety. Or maybe more importantly, I get anxiety. Okay, well, if we just notice that physiological response to stress, what would be the opposite of that? So, oh, if you're having a hard time breathing or you feel like you're breathing really shallow and up into your chest and it's really fast, maybe we start introducing a habit or a uh, practice around slowing that down. Now, so people are taking themselves from this really stressed <laughs> panic state to a... <sighs> and as much as that sounds woo-woo and esoteric, you're not just changing your breath, right? When you change your breath, your breath is like this, this key that can access your nervous system, which is your muscles, it can access your mind. And now, oh, now we can slow down that racing mind and take you out of that high beta sympathetic response where you're in overwhelm and bring you down to this really nice, calm, parasympathetic place where you're in an alpha state, where you're creative, where you can actually logically think your way out of this scenario. So rather than being panicking and going, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. I don't know where I'm going to get toilet paper this week. We can think of like, hey, what can I actually do right now to make my family, my business, and my loved ones supported and ultimately flourish? And we can band together as a community, or you can lead your, your tribe yourself, if you're you know able, to a place of safety and security, because it exists. And I think I tell this to everybody is this you acknowledge this, is like money is not disappearing. It's not like somebody's coming around and taking it away. It's simply changing hands, right? So there's someone at the end of the rainbow here taking the big pot of gold. So you just need to reposition your business or your life so that if this stuff ever happens again, which chances are it's going to, your business becomes anti-fragile. Meaning when something like this happens, you're still resistant to this. And that could be, you know, having different passive streams of income or doing things that you know are never going to go away. So when Jeff Bezos built Amazon, he was, had so much foresight to realize, like, what are people going to need forever? They're always going to need groceries. They're always going to need, you know, they're going to want fast delivery. They're going to want things sent right to the door. So he had the foresight to think ahead. And I call it thinking like a chess master, right? We want to think two, three, four, five steps ahead of everyone else. And if we can think like that, now all of a sudden we have the ability to make our job a little bit more anti-fragile or our income more anti-fragile and have kind of checks and balances in place so that we're not going to get crushed by a situation like this. There's no doubt we're going to suffer. Like, you know, suffering is inevitable, right? It, it, it's going to happen, but at the same time, like how, how deep is it going to go? Like, challenges are inevitable, I guess. I should say. It's always going to be, there's always going to be hard times, right? But you don't necessarily have to be the one that's um, struggling and, and um, you know, there's going to be times of feast and famine, no question, but it doesn't have to be the, the most life-changing, um, stressful thing, right, if you prepare for it. So I said, point being, take this situation as an awareness and let's work on being better in the future. I know that's easy to say now, but I think it, I think it's an amazing opportunity.
1: Okay. So for one, I think you started off like incredibly strong because I think people felt like they could do that. I think right now, without having someone feel like they can't breathe again by going, you need to think a couple steps ahead and we need to kind of find different streams of income. Cause right now people are kind of without any, when you talked about the breathing, do you when you talk to your people, like do you, when you say breathing, are you saying meditation? Are you saying just breathing exercises? Are you saying breathing and getting into a mindfulness state at the same time? Are you saying breathing and being, gr- like having gratitude in that breath, like, or is it just taking the time to stop and just take that breath in and well, the longer it, breath out? Yeah, like, it, how it did depends, you? It depends.
0: It depends where you are in the journey, right, Leanne? Like. The ideal scenario is you're doing all of them, but most people, and I'm going to guess your listeners are, are maybe not, I, again, I don't know who your listeners are, but I don't know that they're in the place where I could say, Hey, I need you to stop and breathe and walk and meditate and, and be grateful. And, and hopefully they are. And if they are, gosh, all of those is going to be seemingly better than just doing a nice relaxed extended exhalation nasal breath.
1: Who did you, who do you turn to? Like who are your people for your mindfulness or meditations? I'm assuming you do those.
0: Oh yeah. So I, um, I do, um, I've done, so it started for me back in 2007 where I started with Dr. Wayne Dyer. And I thought, to, I think Dr. Wayne Dyer is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I've kind of had like little stints in my life where I learned from a lot of the different uh, masters. I've done a lot of yoga. So I've done uh, some work here with a yoga master here in Florida. Um, and now I've just started transcendental meditation. So that's a new one. And, uh, Sam Harris has a wonderful app. If you, if you know Sam Harris, he's, he's really good. If you want to start to understand like, um, mindfulness. He's very, very good at articulating what you should be focusing your attention on. He's good. Yeah. Uh,
1: do you do jo- uh, Joe Dispenza? Like when you're talking about trans, like who uh, are you?
0: I love Joe. So he's been on my podcast, and uh, man, we, <laughs> yeah. Oh, how a, was that? Uh, so good. We had a very amazing synchronicity. So listen to this. This is a three seconds or a thirty second story. So 2013, I hired uh, a group of guys to help with my business marketing. I just started this business. One guy comes up and the first day at work, he he goes, "Hey man, here I brought you a book, and it's um, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself.'" And I looked at it and I was like, "Ah, I was this egocentric bodybuilder. I was like, I don't need to break the habit of being myself." I didn't blow him off, obviously, but I kind of threw it in in my trunk, the trunk of my car, and uh, you know, never thought about it again. Ended up like probably making its way to my bookshelf, but I don't remember seeing it again. And then 2017, um, I uh, hear—I forget if I heard an interview. I saw something with Joe Dispenza somewhere, and I was like, "Who is this guy? This guy's amazing." And then I see his book is Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And I was like, "Where did I see that book before? Oh, yeah, that guy in 2013, four years prior, who worked for me for about eight or nine months, bought me this book. I never read it, never acknowledged it. So I literally buy that book that day. I forget. I think I got the audio book. So I listened to it all in one day, like fast. I was like, this is amazing. I need this. And don't I wake up the next day with an email from the guy who bought me the book four years prior saying, but listen to this even better. He goes, hey, Ben, guess what? No, he goes, hey, Ben, hope you're well. I see your podcast is doing really well. I want you to know I'm now working for Joe Dispenza, doing all of his PR. Would you like to have him on your podcast? The next day, you're like, okay, I see how this works. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Pretty interesting.
1: But yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Like, I don't know. I think that you can see me because we're doing this game. Like, I've got like this grin from like Mm -hmm. ear to ear. Like, I get it, right? And it's just the universe, the universe completely responding to you right there. Like... And, My God, ha- and so and so how was that conversation with him? Like
0: Well Amazing. So he was sitting in a hotel in Mexico and we chatted for a good amount of time. Like I think we chatted for about an hour before we got on the podcast, which I should have recorded and then <laughs> uh middle of the hour and fifteen or hour and twenty on the podcast. And you know, I i still wanting to get to some of his live events. Um haven't been able to do it yet. No, his popularity is catapulted in the last two years it's huge but uh it was just an amazing conversation i mean he seems just like such a brilliant guy and he just does such a, does such a good job of, of simplifying it for people And i think that's maybe his true gift is like taking this thing that most people um maybe interpret as esoteric woo woo like off in outer space kind of stuff and bringing it down to earth and there's been a couple other amazing guests on my podcast that i'll shout out as well who are really good at that so there's one guy who you should get on uh, john amaral so John has become a very good friend of mine. He's actually Tony Robbins, energy worker. I'll connect okay. you with him. Um, but talk about like coming on the podcast and just blowing my mind with explaining how energy works. Cause every, and when you speak of like energy, everyone's like, how it's like this esoteric thing that you really can't understand. And you know, people are carrying around this negative energy. And I was like, well, who actually understands what that means? It's very um, subjective, right? But John actually did a really good job of objectifying and his, his um, business is energy work. And, you know, I had never experienced, something like, I don't know what it is. I'm a very open-minded skeptic. That's what I call myself. Okay,
1: yeah.
0: Um, so I, I, he invited me out to one of his events, and I went out to a four-day or five-day event in Lake Tahoe, and uh, I went, as I said, as an open-minded skeptic. And I went in, and he did his, his, his treatment on me twice a day for four days. First two and a half, three days, I got nothing. I was like, oh, man, I don't really know. So the last day, he completely blew my mind, where he was standing six feet away from me and making my body just jump. And you're like, oh, my goodness, what are you doing? He goes, oh, now we're actually moving the energy. So you've been so stuck and disconnected from your body. You've been torturing your body for 20 years being a bodybuilder. You've been disconnected from it or or like embracing the pain. But right. Like, yeah.
1: do, do you find it interesting that he said that you're so disconnected from your body when you felt, I would think, that you are so connected with your body because you knew how to shape it, how to move it. But in reality, it there wasn't that connection.
0: Well, I think when you're, um, you know, if I sat here and – stuck a a, a hot match in my hand again and again and again. I could feel the match, but eventually it wouldn't hurt anymore. Right. And I think that's really the metaphor I give myself is like, I was feeling the muscle and I was feeling what I was doing. I was creating just so much, you know, ultimately damage to my body. Like I was able to connect with it mentally, but it wasn't like an internal feeling of connection with my soul, with my, with my inner energy. Right. Like muscular is one thing, but like, the flow of energy top to bottom, like the, the your energy field, I guess, is a different, completely different thing.
1: I'm assuming now, just even based on our conversation, like where is the spirituality for you in this? Are have you where did it come about? Yeah, where in this process, I'm assuming that there's been much more of a, spirit, a spiritual side that's emerged through this, especially yeah. if you're if you're sitting there and you're feeling energy from someone who's standing six feet away from you. Like sure that it, 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 it's created.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, it, it's oftentimes, um, as much as I was resistant during my bodybuilding career it would come up and slap me in the face. Like in, in the situation of Joe Dispenza, I've also had some really obscure experiences that I won't share because people are going to think I'm weird, but uh, things that just make you realize, like, you can't deny this. Like, you can't deny there's just something going on here. And like, that was one with John. It's like, okay, you know, this, the last day, it wasn't until the, the very last day where we had two sessions together and he was just you know, and I started to cry and I'm like, and all I could express was, you know, I, I didn't, I was so grateful to say, thank you, John, because I would have lived the rest of my life not knowing what it felt like to have connected with my body. And that's, you know, I just, I had no control over my my emotions and my feelings. It was so interesting, but uh, yeah, there's been a lot of opportunities. So 2007, I had a, you know, at that point in my life, I was, I was just starting to become successful in bodybuilding and I found Dr. Wayne Dyer because, yeah. Um, I was there was a lot of people in my life who I was starting to try to get rid of. Right, I was starting to, starting to kind of trim away the fat, as I said. And uh, there was people in my life who maybe I didn't need to get rid of. And my friend at the time said, "Hey man, like let's let's question this. Let's because I was literally just kind of coming through. I'm like, I'm I'm going on that path. I want nobody around who's holding me back." So he goes, "Hey man, let's question this. Maybe you can change the relationship with them." And I won't, get, I won't get into details, but if I, as soon as I learned that I could change my perspective on that relationship and it completely changed the, man, the dynamic of the relationship, I felt so empowered to realize that I was the creator of all of these things. That I was the creator of the challenges with the girl that I was dating and with my dad, with my mom, with whomever. Like, And I was the creator of all of these things. And I would come into it with a preconceived emotion or a preconceived notion, and I would come at them with like, you know, some uh, preordained expectation of what the relationship was going to go like even before I walked in the room. So, once I realized that and started going down the path of, of meditating with we'll Dr. Wayne Dyer, uh, you know, daily, uh, it really started to make me realize, like, there's so much more to this that I'm just not aware of, and and every, you know, really every day of my life since then has been an ascension of the spiritual mountain, and obviously, sometimes you're in a, you're in a uh, kind of a holding pattern, and you're not paying attention because you get lost in, you know, in this world, but... There's certainly a regular meditation practice. There's certainly a lot of guidance from people who I view as spiritual mentors. And that's become a big part of the conversation, the podcast, too, because, as I said briefly, most people spend their entire life pursuing external things. And I think the the curse of many people's lives is they never accomplish those external goals. Right. So I was so blessed at a young age to accomplish the external goals, which is for me, was the Mr. Olympia contest. So if you set the goal to say, hey, I want to make 10 million dollars, and you never do it. You'll spend the rest of your life pursuing it, right? Whereas I was so lucky to, to achieve the goal and then have the realization that this goal is completely empty and worthless and, and, and not fulfilling to me, right? It's great, the person I've become, but it's not fulfilling. So that's when the journey starts going within at a deeper level, right? It's like, I, I know the only uh, method of attaining fulfillment is inside. So I have to come to peace with myself, live in peace, live in joy, exude love to the world, and always lead with my heart, right? So any business I start, any um, partnership I take on, if it doesn't feel right in my heart, no matter how much money I'm going to make, I say no. And uh, because I realized, you know, you can be be really unhappy and really wealthy, or you can be really, really poor and really happy. And I think that's, again, I don't want either, right? Ultimately, I want to have somewhere in the middle. But I think it's important for people to realize that the external uh, things are not going to fulfill you
1: did people kind of switch their thinking along with you when you kind of started to transition from, okay, let's go to the the gym, like from that previous podcast and kind of hitting on, you know, muscle workout, muscle building. And then did they stick with you as you made this, like as you made this transition and did you get the same response? Because I know a lot of men would be kind of tuning in to kind of go, this is what I want to look like, and this is what I want to do. And how did that transition go? And how you had to train men and women? I would think a little differently. And how yeah. you went about this?
0: I had a lot of fear, to be honest. Like I was like, well, are people gonna, you know, want to continue to listen? Um, and I just did it because I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. Like, and I said this to all my my clients and all of my mentoring students, and I say it doesn't matter if they don't want to. It's like if you're in a relationship and you're like, I can't speak. My heart I can't speak you know what my soul is speaking because I'm afraid that this persons not going to love me and say well well, no, like you speak your thoughts from your heart, and if they don't love you, they're not the right person right so I figure if i it's, so when I shifted businesses, I was like you know what i'm going to speak what I feel in my heart and what I feel in my soul because that's going to make me feel better and it's going to make me feel like I'm living my purpose, and if I can do that, the right people will start to follow and there was there was definitely a shift, there was definitely a new Demographic of people that came in. It was definitely, uh, honestly, a great demographic of people, right? People who are leading with their heart, people who, um, you know, take take this approach of, of wanting to create their greatest life and they want to be full of joy and they want to be full of love and they want to come up with a world of peace and a growth mindset and a, a mindset of abundance and, you know, this almost one consciousness perspective where, like, I'm trying to help you in any way that I can become the best version of yourself. And it's this altruistic approach to health. It's this altruistic approach to business and creating this amazing community of like-minded people that are all contributing to the same cause.
1: Okay, do you mind if I put you through a couple of like just generalized questions? Of course. Because to be honest with you, I want to ask you like about every single author guest, David, like imaginable. And then I'm thinking my listeners are going to be like, Leanne, get back to what we, (laughs) get get back to it. How how would you suggest? So I just want to break it down a little bit. How how different is training men and women?
0: Uh well, I I don't like to categorize it that simply. I think it has to completely depend on your goal. So some men want to just lose fat. Some women want to just build muscle. And you know, there's that component. And then there's the component of the psychology behind it, and then there's the component of their beliefs. You know, I honestly believe sometimes women are easier to train because women have less tend to go at the gym with less of an ego. And then I could actually guide them in a way that I know they're going to execute things and it's going to be done in a way that's proper and, uh, you know, intelligent and, and without an ego. Whereas guys sometimes just get so lost in their ego and their desire to be strong and be big and they, they lose the process. Um, so, it, it, I mean, there's so many levels of complexity where we can go in training men and women. But typically, you know, again, you could tell me if I'm wrong, but typically women tend to need a little bit more support um, mentally and emotionally, maybe with a more nutrition. And oftentimes, they tend to really um, absorb the more esoteric, spiritual, like, hey, I want you to breathe and I want you to connect with yourself and I want you to, to meditate. And so my, my, my kind of trilogy of human optimization is breathe, walk, and meditate. So like, if you can't do those things, the the idea of like building fitness on top of that is futile, right? You need to breathe, have a conscious breathing practice, which is biomechanically correct, which means your body's moving correctly. You need to walk every day because that's the second most physiological thing we do. Second most reflexive thing we do. Breathing be the most reflexive. And meditation is exercise for your mind. It's the ability to control your mind. Are you going to be a victim to your thoughts, or are you going to be the creator of your thoughts? Right, and that—that's meditation. So those are kind of my foundational things. And women tend to uh, really latch onto that really quickly, and a good percentage of men do too. Um, but you know, especially because uh, you know I've walked the walk, right? I think I may be a really good messenger.
1: I, I think you have been, but how different is it for someone then who is young and vibrant and has the energy and, and the, the need and want to do that and can do that and put the hours in the gym? And then maybe it's because of the generation I'm in, right? Like, we don't want to, f- I don't want to feel like I've peaked. I still feel like I've got, you know, I can still attain the best body and the best, uh, not, not necessarily body, but like, I still feel like I can get into the be- best shape I've ever been in. Sure. Every year yeah. I kind of say to myself, next, I, like I still have it in me to become even better next year and it drives me completely and totally insane when i hear people say well it's good enough for my 40s or well this isn't bad for 40 like for me i'm kind of like why wouldn't you want to be better like why why don't you want to be better than you are now like why do you so many people give up on it and say well i'm 40 or well i'm 50 so what does it matter now and yeah People, know, people who know me know that it, that drives me insane. Sure, and
0: it's their beliefs and their identity. And this is how they – like if you picture yourself at 70, do you have a very clear image of what that's going to be? And if it is – Like, if it's not clear, make it clear and make it be exactly what you want it to be. And then you'll live into that, right? If you have a clear, if you don't have a clear picture, it's just going to kind of go subjectively, like I say, in whatever direction it happens to go, you have to have a super clear image of what am I going to look like at 40, 50, 60, 70. And is that getting better, staying the same, getting worse, like, and if I can't, you know, ultimately envision that it's not going to happen. So that and, and ultimately the way you look is, is a result of the standard to which you hold for yourself, right? So if you're gonna hold yourself to a high standard, you're always gonna look amazing. And if you don't, and you just kinda let it meander it and you let it you let it stray, you're gonna lose it.
1: But how can you tell people, like how can I convince people that they have it in them to be better? Like that they have it in them that their body would respond and that it's okay to just it's I like taking that first to. step that it'll come.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think you have to. So this is kind of what I said about stress management. Like, if you try to tell someone to have a positive mindset, it doesn't work, right? So it's like, you know, I have, have so many examples of this. Why, like, you, you can try to support someone who doesn't want to change all you want. They're not going to change. What you have to do, I think, is give them the tools. It's, it's like teaching your kids. you have kids? Yes. Yes. you have kids? So when you try to tell your kids, like, how to do something, the likelihood of them listening to you is like, oh, Mom, you don't know what you're talking about. But if you lead them down the path and you go, hey, go discover it yourself. Then they're more likely to learn it. And listen, I I learn this every day. Like I've got so many clients who I try. I, I'll tell them the same thing seven times, and then instead of telling them, I'll just kind of like ask them a question. I'll go, "Oh, you know, I never thought of that." I'm like, oh, "Okay, I've, like I've literally told you a hundred times, right?" Anyways, but I think it, it's this idea of of giving people um, the opportunity to start to change their habits. So one of the the main coaching program I offer now is is what I call the Life Shift. So you have 24 hours in a day. You spend eight hours sleeping. Well, these are 16 hours in a day, approximately. Currently, your 16 hours a day are filled with whatever you currently do. And those things, that 16 hours of the day, whatever your life is to this point, has created a reflection, which is your body, right? So the exact way you feel every hour of your day has manifested in the exact way that it should to present the body you look at right now. So if I say, if I come in, you hire me as a coach, and you say, Ben, I want to look like X, and I go, okay, no problem. We're gonna do it. We're gonna to go to the workout two hours a day. We're gonna do this many meals a day. We're gonna meditate. We're gonna breathe. We're gonna walk. The likelihood of you succeeding is zero, right? You're gonna fail. Like 99% of people will fail. 1% of people will succeed, and those are the ones you see in the magazines and you see like everywhere because they're they're the robots who can do things mindlessly. But everybody else needs to shift, right? So it's like, hey, Leon, what are you doing in the gym right now? I bet I'm doing 45 minutes three times a week. Okay, that's perfect. Let's stick with that. So instead of doing what you're currently doing in the gym, I want to take that 45 minutes and just make it better right so what habits do you already have and instead of saying i'm going to completely overhaul your life i'm going to change the way you eat and change the way you breathe and like i said some people can do that most people can't i'm going to just take that 45 minutes you currently have and i'm going to shift it or i'm going to take that first 30 minutes in the morning and i'm going to shift what you're doing and over time, we're going to create this habit stacking that happens, right? So most people that I work with are high-level CEOs and executives and doctors who are financially successful. they like, man, my relationships suck or my body sucks or like my, you know, it's something I want to fix. Like, okay, well, what are your habits in that area? And let's just start to shift them, right? It's not like, I'm not going to come in and overhaul your life and take all the food out of your fridge and like, I'm not trying to lose 300 pounds because it's not sustainable, right? It's like giving people a million dollars when they win the lottery, Six months later, they lost it. The same thing's happening in these people's lives who transform their body and don't sustain it. So what I'm trying to do is not give you a, this miraculous new body that you'll never be able to sustain, which is what everybody does. I'm trying to shift your life so that 10 years from now or, or a year from now, you're a completely different expression of this, this person because you've changed those incremental segments in your life, right? Right. We only have the same amount of hours in the day. The goal is not to do more necessarily, maybe it is sometimes, but to take the things we're already doing and make them more effective that lead us to the goal that we're trying to achieve.
1: What would you say are the biggest uh, frustrating factors for certain people like you know you get to a certain point um you know and men kind of have like uh the the beer bellies like I, I, are there certain things that you have seen through different generations or different problems that are not an easy fix but are things that they can work on so that they're not falling into those traps
0: um yeah, I, I, yeah, sure. Of course, I do. I, I think the biggest challenge that people will run into is trying to change things that they shouldn't be changing. Let me give you an example. Every nutritionist you talk to. So, if you hired a nutritionist today and and you be like, "Hey, I want to lose ten pounds of fat," what's the nutritionist going to do? They're going to change your diet. You're like, "Oh, we're going to restrict your calories." Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but where's the challenge with that? What if the way you eat right now is perfect for you, based on your current level of activity, your current level of stress, meaning. It's the way you've you've decided to eat. It may not be the best foods. It it's just it fits your routine right now. Right. And if I go down, you can completely change it. What does that do to your unconscious nervous system? It's a stress, right? So not only do we just take away the foods we were using before to cope with stress. But now we've added additional stress onto your life. And maybe we put you in a caloric deficit, too. And maybe we add some exercise on top of that. So we're just going stacking stress on top of stress on top of stress, right? So now if you don't have any coping mechanisms introduced to help you deal with that stress, whereas food may have been a coping mechanism before, and we've taken that away, and we've added additional stress, everyone fails, right? Everyone fails because we're take if, if you're someone who uses food to cope with stress, and, and I take that away, and I add more stress on top of your life, because I'm like, oh, you got to do fasting, you've got to do – uh, calorie restriction, you gotta do extra exercise. Those are stresses. People won't realize, no matter if it's a positive or, or a negative stress, it's still a stress. So we're adding more sympathetic arousal to your body. Your body doesn't know how to compensate with it. So you just cheat and you you'll fall back into the same bad negative habits because you start to think, I can't do it. That's just not for me. I'm, no, I'm not able to do this. Okay. Rather than saying, hey, instead of changing all of these things, I want to give you some stress coping strategies. Right? I want to give you a little bit of uh, information and some some tools so that instead of going to reach for that bag of chips or those cookies or that chocolate, next time, now we have a strategy. When that comes up, when that feeling you have comes up, maybe we can do something a little bit different that's constructive. So instead of me taking away those things, I'm going to say, I'm going to try to empower you with the ability to make better decisions. I know that sounds convoluted, but that's where everybody goes wrong, is they try to change things that they shouldn't change, right? The things we should be changing are our stress management. Should we should be changing the amount of exercise. We should be changing the, the way we sleep, the quality of the way we do things, right? That's... If you do that, yes, it's not sexy. It's not like oh, you're gonna lose thirty pounds in thirty days. It's not sexy. But guess what? It's the one that's gonna stick for the rest of your life because you're changing the person you are.
1: And you can do that at any age. Of course, I want I want someone right now at fifty and sixty to say it's okay. You can you can just start. But they don't even have to know right now.
0: But they don't even have to know right. That's maybe the point. Is is I don't need to tell you. Hey, we're gonna do this, and you're gonna lose thirty pounds in a month. It's like hey. Can we just introduce, I do this all the time with my clients. I actually have a surprisingly high number of, of like 50-year-old plus women. Uh, and I do this all the time. I'm like, all right, I need you to walk for 30 minutes a day. Any pace? No, just get outside. As long as you're walking outside, make it comfortable. I want you to be conscious of your breath and maybe just smile every every once in a while. Be appreciative that you're doing it. You're giving them this this, this wellness coping strategy. And it sounds completely obscure. And every one of them comes back after two weeks and goes, you know what? I feel better. I, I'm not eating as much. My sleep is better, and we quantify it as well. We quantify it with, with sleep metrics and heart rate variability. But um, rather than just guessing, right? I want to be able to quantify things. Um, but that's, I mean, doing something like that is so um, ubiquitous. You can give it to anybody. They don't even know you're interfering because as soon as I tell you, "Hey, I'm going to restrict. I'm taking away all your chocolate and your chips and all these," no, oh, that's a stress. I can't do this, right? Like, hey, man, you can't eat the chocolate cake tonight. Guess what you're going to do, right? <laughs> tell yeah. someone you can't. Yeah, they're going to do it. Yeah.
1: Do you still, are you still big on, um, on weights, on resistance training for people that are older? Like we're talking even, 60, more, so.
0: even more so, yeah. Like, you know, I, there was a phase in my life where I was like, how oh, do people need weight training even more so there's three pillars, right? There's three, there's three ultimate pillars of, of longevity and optimization when it comes to the physical body. It's, it's ultimately mobility and stability because we know as we age, that goes away. It's strength and it's aerobic capacity or VO2 max, right? So we need to be strong. We need to have a good amount of strength. So there needs to be resistance training. Mobility and stability for me is like yoga. And then aerobic training is you got to do something that, that's challenging that your ability to uh, control your breath through an uh, extended period of time. If you can do those three things, you forever will be healthy, as long as you're maintaining a certain standard and hopefully increasing them. So my typical daily practice is we're going to train one day. The next day we're going to do yoga. And, and the same same day as yoga, we're do some aerobic work. That's it. You, so you train training three to four times a week, yoga three to four times a week. You've got an hour of activity, typically maybe, maybe 75 minutes, and you're, you're going to maintain amazing levels of health. And now the trick is not doing more, right? The trick is, Leanne, I don't want you to do any more than you're doing. I want you to learn to get better because so many people work at such a low level of efficacy during their workouts. And that's what I teach in my business. Muscle intelligence as a business is about teaching people how to get better and better and better at things they're already doing, not doing more and more and more because it's not sustainable,
1: Yeah, it's funny. And I felt like in the days that when you used to go to the gym, but I would see people who would be there for like an hour, but I would see them walking around aimlessly wandering around and it would drive me nuts. I'm like, go in with no go in knowing how you're going to be using this time to be able to do that. Okay, I have like just a couple minutes left to go. So let's let's bring it back right now to because I think we've inspired and hopefully motivated people to do things. But right now they're stuck in either a tight apartment in their house don't have much equipment, you know, um, you know, if they're able to get out, which is fantastic and get some fresh air and go for a walk and go for a run. But what do you suggest they do right now
0: sure. over
1: the course of the next couple of weeks that we're still dealing with this current situation?
0: Well, the first thing is check your, your language, right? And with everyone at home is like, oh, I have to work out or I don't get to go to the gym. I don't have all this amazing equipment. I think it's an amazing opportunity. To learn how to do the things that you can do at home and do them well, right? So learning how to become present in, in your movement, learning how to, to challenge muscles rather than complete exercises. I don't know if you've ever talked about that in the past, but kind of this, this, this shift that I create in people's lives is most people go into the gym and they do exercises. Like, I don't care about exercises. I care about muscles. I want to challenge your muscles. So what does an exercise look like if I say to you, Leanne, I want you to do one rep? But I want you to make it as hard as you possibly can for the muscle you're trying to train. Does that change the way you do the exercise? Does that change the way you connect with the exercise? Does it change the way you, you cerebrally connect with the muscle, right? Now you have to become present. Now you actually have to think about something. Now you're actually connecting with that muscle. It almost becomes this meditative experience where I'm intentionally trying to make it as hard as I possibly can. So most, quote-unquote, fitness experts will tell you, hey, it's three sets of eight or three sets of 12 or whatever they're going to tell you. It's all nonsense because everyone – does them differently right your squat looks different than mine and your ability to create tension in the muscles different than mine so how can we say that you do three sets of eight and i do three sets of eight it's the same Mm -hmm. thing it's ludicrous so we need to first standardize the stimulus and and the standardizing the stimulus looks like whatever you're doing squats lunges deadlifts bench presses push-ups whatever you're doing at home focus on on what the muscle is doing and saying am i just going through this thing mindlessly to try to move or Can I make it more challenging for the thing that I'm actually trying to train? And if you don't know the thing you're trying to train, that's fine too. feel, right? Remember this quote, pay attention to the tension. What, where do I feel the tension, right? Am I feeling it in the muscle that I think I'm supposed to be working? i Am feeling it in my back? Stop, right? Like if I'm feeling it in a place that feels weird, you're not doing it correctly. You have the ability to self-correct. We all have the ability to go, okay, this feels good in this muscle. That's what I'm trying to train. Let's continue to do this. Can I now make it more challenging to that muscle? Not with the objective of doing a certain number of repetitions. So let's give you an example. We're going through a squat. If I said, Leanne, I want you to do one single squat, but I need to be as hard as you, as you possibly can. What does that look like to you? Fast or slow?
1: Uh oh, it's definitely slow. I think. Yeah. I think it would be like, um, like almost like an eight seconds down hold at the bottom. Forget, forget, it 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 forget.
0: It, you're exactly right. But I don't want you to think about like how, numbers because as soon as I say no. you think okay. like, down eight up, well, that's yeah. you're correct. You're absolutely correct. But now guess what? Now you're gonna start thinking about the numbers rather than challenging the. You're
1: muscle. totally right. You're yeah. right. Okay. So I want you to think
0: yeah. about if I, a good example for the listeners, around like a bicep curl. So if I'm sitting here and I extend my arm all the way, and I want to contract that bicep before it ever moves. Squeeze it as hard as you possibly can. So now you're creating what's called a co-contraction between the bicep and the triceps. So the tricep is acting as resistance. So now we're trying to squeeze that bicep as hard as we can. We go through the entire range of motion, not letting it go. And it actually can create a huge amount of challenge. And the bicep is a really good example for people sitting in their car or people listening to the podcast now. And just try to squeeze it as hard as you possibly can for one rep in both directions. And I promise you, it's going to be really slow. It's going to be challenging. And you're going to feel it. And OK, obviously, one rep isn't going to be enough. But let's go through and do that perfectly first and then eventually we can increase to three and five and ten and then we can actually do challenging exercise correctly without needing fancy things at the gym.
1: I love this. Now, um, and only because I'm trying to think in my head, did I go through those six pillars? I know that we hit on kind of nutrition. We hit on the breathing. We hit on the sleep. Well, in a sense that we needed sleep. But I think the one thing that you came back with at number six was kind of combining all those into the environment in which. Yeah, I
0: not combining, but, but your body's Important. responding to the environment, right? Your body's always responding to the so, environment. So environment is, um, is light, sound air, EMF, and people. Those are your your environment, right? So your body's always adapting and responding to those things. So light is a really big, maybe, potentially, it's been suggested that it's the greatest stimulus to our biology, right? Our, our biology has, has adapted over a million years to be responsive to the circadian rhythms of the sun. So by changing the rhythms by using internal artificial light it completely shifts the way your body internal your body's internal chemistry works. So paying attention to how you're subjecting your body to light and that's getting outside as often as you can and just living with the with the sun's rhythm and that it seems as though the most important thing you can do to set your circadian rhythm is watching the sunrise and watching the sunset. Now that's not possible for a lot of people, I get it, but if it is, do it. You want to see your your brain apparently responds really well to the the change in the colors in the sky, so as you sh- you see, you know the blue on the top and the pink in the bottom. And the sun is kind of setting in the orange. Well, that's kind of what your brain uses as this trigger to say, "Hey, it's time to start producing melatonin now. It's time to start getting ready for sleep." Rather than being you know outside in the blue all day and coming in and turning on the blue inside and getting the artificial light, which is going to really shift. So when we talk about shifting, it's shifting your circadian rhythms for sleep, it's shifting your circadian rhythms for digestion, your, your your nervous system, all these things are shifting because every cell in your body has, a, has a, a circadian clock. So we have to try to synchronize all those things and historically those would, be, those would be synchronized with the sun. So that's a big one. People obviously is a big part of the environment because you want to be around people that are encouraging, supportive, loving, joyful, and if you're not... Maybe changing your perspective toward them, like I did, would be a good learning opportunity. Air quality matters. Like, pay attention to the things you're breathing, things you're putting into your air. And that includes cosmetics for ladies. And that includes, I don't know, like candles and, and air fresheners. Like, get rid of that stuff. It's poison. Uh, there's a great book that I highly suggest, and I'll get you this guy on the podcast too. It's called Estrogeneration. It's Dr. Anthony J. He's a researcher at the Mail Clinic. It's absolutely brilliant and mind blowing. If you have a good, uh, good number of female listeners, um, they will absolutely love that book. And he's a brilliant, brilliant brilliant guy um and those are primarily it right so paying attention to your environment the way you you breathe the way you uh the light you're subjected to
1: okay let me ask you this how often are your kids on screen time (laughs) okay (laughs) for those that aren't seeing this that's a big flat zero seriously zero screen time yeah oh my Um, god
0: yeah well how how much
1: are you on like how how are you with your devices uh I'm terrible
0: with my devices. I live on so my So
1: how it, Okay, so how do how how do they see you and then you know, you're on and, and zero screen time. Like I like
0: I've, it's been a non-negotiable wow. for me since they were born. So, you know, maybe when they're they get like an hour of like Netflix on the weekend or something. My
1: god. <laughs> Can you come to my house?
0: <laughs> yeah, everyone doesn't like me for that. Uh. But no, I don't own an iPad. Um so they're just learning how to type now. Uh, like literally this week since this corona stuff, they're learning how to type. And, well, not my 13-year-old, he knows know to type, but the 16-year-old learning how to type. And, Does uh, your
1: 13-year-old th- have a phone? No. So like you're not dealing with any of like the TikToks and the Snapchats and all no. that? Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> no, my level of tolerance for that stuff is low. And I know I don't want to deprive them of stuff. Like if he's on with his friends or if he's over his friends, house, I'm not going to say you can't play video games, you can't do, like, I don't care. Go do what you want, but I'm not going to have it now, so. And wow. so yeah. we're, working on, we're working on the weekend with, with the TV is they get the equivalent time that they read to get to watch that on Netflix.
1: Oh, my God. I, I I commend you. I, I like, I, I want my kids to listen to this last 10 minutes of this podcast, like <laughs> if anything. Like, well, started, just to be able to that.
0: the time like, they are born, right? Like it's not yeah, just something. I'm-
1: yeah. No, they, they, they don't know any different. You know, right. you take, take a, away from someone right now, like my kids would go absolutely insane. So, okay. So have I like, honestly, like Ben, there was so much that I wanted to get on and I'm, I'm like looking at the time and, and we've kind of come to that, that our point. Did I hit on did I hit on your six pillars? Did we get through those? There's, there's one thing I want
0: the audience to know though. And I yeah. think this is this is maybe the most important lesson in all of it is start to view exercise as an opportunity, right? Since so it's, it's not a chore, it's not something I have to do, it's an opportunity. What is an opportunity to do? To become more present, to become uh, more mindful to connect with my body and ultimately to implement discipline in your life. And, and it doesn't have to be hard, right? It doesn't have to be something that hurts. It just has to be something whereby you do it consistently and you intentionally seek the value and seek the opportunity that exists in the discipline and the challenge, right? So rather than viewing discipline and challenge, when I say those words, people get scared, but maybe it's, it, it's, that's your greatest opportunity for personal development, right? It's like actually exploring that discomfort and realizing, oh, I'm not gonna die, right? I'm okay here. Like it, I'm, It's not that bad. And you can stop anytime you want. As soon as it starts to get uncomfortable, you start to get anxious, you stop. And you realize you're safe. And you can go back there and go a little bit closer and go a little bit further and further and further. And eventually what you realize is that that challenge and that discomfort is actually where the opportunity lies. And like, oh, gosh, if I keep doing that, I'm actually getting better reward now. I'm actually getting better physical change. So point being summarizing, start viewing your exercise as an opportunity to become a better version of yourself. Because where else in life are we actually challenged, Right. Very few opportunities in life do we, do we get subjected to discipline and the opportunity to build our character, right? So every time you build your character and you accomplish a small goal, your confidence increases, right? So every time, if I, if I set out a goal, even however small, if I say, hey, I'm going to do 15 minutes of exercise today and I'm actually going to challenge my muscles through that entire workout, I, I do, when I do it, I get a sense of accomplishment. I get that dopamine reward in my brain, right? I'm moving towards something and I have this objective this objective mark marker. So okay, we're going to start building this positive brain that works for us rather than working as an anchor to hold us back. And I think just just intentionally view exercise as this beautiful thing you get to do to honor your body and love this body, this this gift we've been given. Right, we're a visitor in this body and honor it and use it to fuel your adventure for the rest of your life.
1: You got to remind people they have just one. It's not something you can trade in. I like it's like you you've been given one. Like you know, it's you've got to like people take their car in to get
0: well yeah. i think the challenge your diet,
1: like is like it's take the from same the time, we're
0: born, we're, we're time we're born we're not we're not taught to take care of our body we're taught when there's something wrong you take a pill right so when you get sick wait you're good you don't need anything yet oh you got a fever now let's take an abil right oh you got it you got a cough now let's take a cough and rather than going hey every day you should this is the three the, my three pillars of my kids you do something for your body you're minding your soul every day and that's like how we can after school that's the kind of their their obligation and um, that's it. So what does that mean? I don't care what you do for your body, your money. So whatever fills your cup, right. But I think that's important for them to realize that, um, they should be taking proactive care of their body that rather than reactively responding to illness. And that's maybe the biggest lesson everyone needs to learn now with this Corona stuff, right. Proactively building these, these habits of, of health and and happiness.
1: Ben, where can people find more information? I mean, I know you've got a number of different programs that you've got the uh, muscle intelligence podcast, but where can people go?
0: Uh, if you just look up the word muscle intelligence or the term muscle intelligence, you'll so the podcast, muscleintelligence.com, muscle intelligence is a private Facebook group. People can join in there anytime and we're in there all the time doing podcast live just like this with some of the most amazing, brilliant guests in the world uh, and providing as much value as we can for our community.
1: Okay. Let's the three books right now that are like on the bedside table or that are being consumed. Or in what, what area? Three, whatever, or three books right now that if you could say to someone out there, this is what you're going to be ordering off of Amazon over the course of this quarantine, or isolation, or however long we're in this. What would be your three books?
0: Now you're putting some pressure on me here. Um, know, so sorry. one that's on the nights I've got so many because uh, right now I'm okay, saying,
1: list list them all and then and then I'll but, let you go. <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm I'm reading business books right now because my my big focus is like one I'm mentoring some people in business and and I want my business to grow. Um, well, again, we spoke about Joe Dispenza. That's uh, that's an absolute necessity for people to read. Uh, oh, one that I just read, which is really great and, uh, outwitting the devil by Napoleon Hill. If you haven't read that, read that. You're going to like that. Um, what else have I got on here? Oh, brainwash Dr. David Perlmutter. Have you had him on yet? No. Good book. Very good book. Highly suggested. Oh, here's another one. Everyone get this book, please. The, Spez- the seven spiritual laws of success. Deepak Chopra. Okay. And I'll give you one, I'll give you one final one. Cause it's another, it's another one that's absolutely, you know, must read how to think like a Roman emperor. Donald Robertson, really good book. Listened to it about three times in the last uh, maybe three months. So good,
1: really, to go through it. So you, you're doing the audio versions.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've got things in my bookshelves behind me, but I've got yeah. like and, endless books. But yeah, I do. I do. So, what was that last I, one that you said? How to think like a Roman emperor.
1: And is that just an overall
0: uh, stoicism? But it's it's a really consumable. Stoicism book, stoic book. because really
1: okay, I know that you had Dave Asprey on and for his superhuman. Yeah. Like that look, like I, I was actually I was I was picking out and it, it was like an encyclopedia almost. And you know, as much as I wanted to consume this information, I knew how brilliant he was, or he is, sorry. Like sometimes you look at a book and you're intimidated by it.
0: I wouldn't be it's- intimidated by it. I think Dave's brilliant. I think Dave's mm-hmm. got a lot to offer. Um, you'll get I think you get more value from listening to his podcast. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. So like, it's nothing that you that's gonna surprise you. It's nothing that's gonna like. There's very few things now that you're gonna be like. Oh, I don't really know that. And but I don't want to be see able to hear him speak about.
1: it. Yeah. Which is I found yeah, is interesting. He has, he has this podcast. He doesn't actually listen to them. I learned that from my the podcast you had with him. He's like, I've never well, actually listened to one.
0: <laughs> you know, it, it's hard, right? Because like, I listen yeah. to mine back because I love my guests. I'm like, man, I learned so much from these guests. I want to go learn, learn it back. Yeah. Um, it's funny cause sometimes mine's the only one I listen to and I'm like, God, that sounds really egocentric, but like, I just love my guests, right? I, I actually do a lot of time curating the guests and making sure I have really inspirational, educational people on there. And I just, I just want to listen to it again. And you know, when you're listening, when you're interviewing someone, it's not like you're quite learning it cause it's, you're kind of thinking of the next question and you're, you know, you're, you're anticipating the direction of the content of the content. You're trying to curate a little bit. So I always try to listen to them back.
1: Oh, that's pretty smart. Okay. So people muscleintelligence.com, you'll find all of the information right there. Um, and good luck with everything in Florida. We'll look forward to having you back here in Canada. We're still very proud to call you Canadian, back in I'll Toronto. I, uh, I'll be
0: back in April as soon as they let me fly. Like, and I'll okay, be I'm sorry.
1: In- But how, how much do you miss being Canadian right now and where, so, where you are, right?
0: No, no, I'll tell you what, it, the, I won't complain about being in Florida because the weather is perfect. There hasn't been a cloud in the sky since this started. And it's like 80, 85 degrees, which is like, you know, 25, 27 degrees Celsius. And it's, I, I live two blocks from the ocean and about seven blocks from my gym. And like I have this little circle that is just my little Bermuda triangle of heaven. So that's you at pretty the awesome. gym
1: by your, I take it you're at the gym by yourself then You've got yeah. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy that <laughs>
0: yeah. Sorry to listen. <laughs> the music
1: blaring. Um, all right, Ben, really appreciate the time that you had for us today and really hope people check out. Uh, first off the guest list on his podcast is just fantastic. So go check out his podcast and of course all the other information that he's got. And like, listen, if you've got the ability to do so, like, work with him, like work with Ben, like how awesome would that be? And uh, to those listening, thanks so much for listening and sharing and letting people know the podcast is out there. Really appreciate it. Love seeing the growth each and every night and just want to say thanks so much. So everyone, thanks for listening to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang and have an awesome, epic day.